Welcome to In Their 20s, a podcast for people in their 20s. Today we spoke with Bushra Amiwala, the youngest Muslim elected official in the United States. Bushra travels all around the country to share her story in hopes of inspiring others to take action. She's a fresh voice with a unique perspective, and we were super fortunate to have her on our show this evening. So let's jump in with Bushra to hear about her professional journey and accomplishments. Of course, your name is everywhere. News articles, you know, people are just super excited and thrilled about what you've been able to accomplish. I feel like a lot of people um, don't know so much about the beginning, though. So I'm talking like before DePaul. Um, I want to talk about who was Bushra before everything that we've seen recently. That is such a good question. And I think especially because it's one that I don't get asked often enough to the point where I sometimes forget to reflect on who I was prior to all like the headlines and the the quote unquote um, success and the fun stuff and all of the glamorous things that came along with running for office unexpectedly. So in high school, I actually actually even fast forward to rewind even a bit further than that. Eighth grade was when I began, uh, made the decision to begin wearing the hijab for the very first time. And I'm the first family person in my family to wear the hijab and the only person who wears it actually as well, uh, specifically in the United States. And um, I had just graduated eighth grade and was going to purchase school supplies. So it was at like an office max or office depot. I think one bought the other out by now and um, witnessed a man actually verbally harass a woman who was wearing a burqa, which is an Islamic veil that covers you from head to toe. And it, this is in a story where I was the upstander in that situation and I saved the day, nothing like that, but I was a bystander and couldn't help but think, what if I was wearing the hijab? What would this man's reaction have been? Would he have turned around and asked me the same question? And could I have done something in that instance then that would have changed his perspective? So I was always hyper aware that I was about to be educated with the generation of change or future lawyers, doctors, change makers, policymakers, you know, podcast hosts, like everything and everything in between, like movers and shakers. And um, I want to change the perspective of what it meant to be a Muslim person. And because statistics show that we actually only make up 1.1% of the U.S. population. So it's no surprise that um, over like 67% of Americans say they've never met a Muslim person before. Um, So things like that, I think, are super interesting. And I realized that I want to be a positive example and reflection of what a Muslim woman was. So I began wearing the hijab which is an Islamic veil that covers my head. And I would only wear it to school. And so I would hang out with my friends and not wear it then. I would go to the mall across my school and not wear it then. So I had the direct differences in treatment from when I had the hijab on versus when I did not have the hijab on. And I think my story before everything else, the hijab stories, I think was such a defining moment for me and my um, early sort of adulthood life. Of course. And of course, the rest is history as well. I just really want to extract a lot of things that you just mentioned. First off, thank you for being so open and honest with your story. Um, And I do just want to point out that there are so many people that are really, you know, been faced with issues similar to you. Um, So now for you to be able to really be just able to speak about these issues, your personal experience um, in a public light, I just know inspires so many people. So in 2018, Uh, You ran for the Cook County Board of Commissioners. You were 19 years old. Um, Unfortunately, you lost, but I know that this was a huge learning experience for you. Uh, There are so many 20-somethings that will have to constantly deal with rejection and uncertainty. So I'd love to hear about your journey running for that position and how you dealt with the loss. 
amazing question. Um, it's framed in such a thoughtful manner. So I really appreciate that. And thank you for sharing so much of the history and context that comes with that comes with that. I um, really appreciate that. So I, um, I think what's really interesting about the fact that I lost was that I actually wholeheartedly believed that I was going to get elected. And I think that made that loss and that feeling of almost being rejected right by your community more or less, but that loss um, was a lot more painful for that reason. I think had I known and had I braced myself for a loss, I would have been a bit more prepared. I would have expected it. I would have, um, but for me, like all the calculations I had done, the research that I'd done. So I'll share some of the research actually to put things into perspective. So previous year, um, the person that I ran against got 14,000 votes. And during my election, I targeted that I need at least half of those voters plus a thousand, right? To like secure a win. So 8,000 voters. So I secured um, 10,000 voters uh, within my database, people whose doors I'd knocked on, people who I'd called, people who we wrote letters to, postcards to, secured 10,000 voters. So I was like, okay, this is it, got it in the bag. Like that's, wow, like more than I expected. We have literally um, of around 40,000 people vote in that election that year because we turned, we had historical voter turnout on every single side because it was an election where no one had been challenged in the past. So I got 13,500 votes across Cook County and then 1,500 um, in the city of Chicago. It's around 15,000 uh, 15, votes, um, which was a win in itself, but I didn't view it in that way because it was, to me, I was like, well, ultimately I lost, but we had exceeded our goal. We had crushed that goal. It's something that like as a 19 year old being able to accomplish that. So over time, I've really been able to frame that loss in a different, more positive lens and perspective. And the more that I analyze it, um, the more I'm really grateful for every decision that I made during that campaign. And um, I was, for example, offered $54,500 worth of corporate funding, which I declined because it wasn't in line with my values. And to this day, there was an NPR podcast discussing my campaign the other day. And they said, had Bushra Amuel accepted that money, she would have gotten elected the first time. And hearing things like that sometimes make you question the decisions that you make and the choices that you make, but didn't want any of that to affect uh, my thought process. And I think it was a really effective way to cope with the loss by looking at those individual goals that I was able to meet. Of course. And I will say wholeheartedly that it's clear things ended up working out though. Um, of course, you know, we're going to talk about the next race soon, but um, it's just funny how like these little decisions we make completely put us on a different life trajectory. Um, and we make these little decisions every single day um, and don't really realize the impact that they're, that they're going to have. But this of course was a bigger decision. So I understand, you know, why you're constantly thinking about that. But again, um, we're going to discuss the next race soon, which we're really excited to talk about and how you were able to win that before we pivot to that though. Um, looking back at this um, race, you know, in 2019, um, or 2018, um, I was reading that the person you ran against, uh, you had a conversation uh, with that person afterwards. Um, and that kind of helped motivate you to run again. If you want to just discuss that conversation a little bit, I'd appreciate that. Yeah. So the person I ran against, his name was Larry Suffredin. So when I met up with Larry, um, we got breakfast a week after the election. And when he tells a story, he always mentions how I ordered pancakes and we went to a um, we went to a breakfast and I got pancakes. I guess he wants to turn off the waffle voters. Uh, just kidding. But um, he remembers it to the T, like to every single detail, which is basically my point at that, which I think is so sweet because even I didn't remember like what I ordered that day. And he basically encouraged me to run for public office again. He said, you have so much potential. You um, have so much 
ability. You were able to mobilize so many people. You were able to empower this new generation of voters. You have to run again. Um, perhaps look at the Board of Education. An election is um, coming up in six months. Like that gives you enough time to think about it, take a break before you start campaigning again. And um, the rest is kind of history. And in those six months, I talked to 50 people, around 50 people, um, friends, family members, a lot, a lot of mentors, and basically asked everyone, do you have any reservations in mind slash reasons for me not to run? And every single person was wholeheartedly believed that I should run again, um, which I kind of internally needed. Like that was my um, necessity to sort of cope with this loss, to build my confidence back up, to have that many people believe in me is why I decided to run for public office again. And I was able to put systems in place that helped that victory. Of course. And that just shows how important mentorship, having a co-sign, just people that believe in you is really important. So I feel like in our, in our 20s, we should really be looking out for those people um, that can point us in a good direction. Um, so now I'd love to talk about your advice for finding identity. Um, during both races, I believe you mentioned that there were many people that didn't know your name. You know, they would always refer to you as just the youngest Muslim elected in the United States or, you know, just Muslim student running for public office. But a lot of these people didn't know your name. And that really motivated you to really get out there. And of course, I want you to tell the story, but just let's break down the importance of finding identity in your 20s and how you did it. Um, such a powerful question, I think. I think the best way to find your own identities, to find your niche, um, I think a lot of people look for ways to define themselves and to have something that makes them who they are. And I think that there are so many subsects to our identity. I think part of it is also our talent. And I think that's something I didn't realize until um, I found my own thing that I was good at. And for me, I would say um, it's two things. One, it's building relationships and two, it's public speaking. And I always was like, okay, I'm good at these two random things. What could I possibly do that makes this a viable career path almost. And I realized that sales was actually a huge um, way to tap into both of those. Um, you're, off, you're speaking with clients all the time, you're doing presentations, and then you're building relationships. So that's something that I uh, decided to so I work in sales now. So that's something that defines who I am. It's what my job is. It's what I spend 40 hours a week, sometimes more doing. And then on the flip side, I found politics, um, the sort of obvious one, where everything is about building relationships to get voters, to get people to vote for you. And it, those sort of elements actually dictate a lot of who we actually are, those components. So it's really amazing to being able to tap into those skills that you have and make that and incorporate them into your identity. But then apart from that, talking about just like physical identity, I think coming to terms with that is super important. So people oftentimes ask me that I have racism, ageism, sexism, and Islamophobia all working against me sometimes, and which is the quote unquote worst. And I would say the one that impacts me the most is sexism for sure. I think my female identity comes before everything. Um, so not only am I a Muslim person, I'm a Muslim woman. Not only am I a person of color, I'm a woman of color. So I think that that's such a defining part of my identity identity. And not only am I a young person, but I'm a young woman. Um, I just feel like in every way, it sounds just all the more um, almost powerful in some instance to this too, that don't get me wrong, the context is great, but also like you hear the idea of like, wow, like that, um, you sometimes question, you have just have more questions about what that identity holds. And so I had to come to term with my womanhood and my female identity the most. And what really I think bothered me in the beginning was that people were obsessed with my 
identity. They'd love to talk about how I dressed, what I looked like, how much makeup I wore, the color of my hijab, um, the color of my nails, like everything and in between. Um, and I just felt like everything I did just drew so much attention to the wrong parts of me. And, um, it's, it was all about coming to terms with, with that process, what that looks like, how to overcome that, how to distract people from all of that. And, um, basically to be comfortable in your own skin. So that's why trying to find what your niche is and what you're good at is a way for people to look beyond just your physical appearance and what physical identity entails. I love that. I think that's amazing advice. And I will say as individuals, I think it is important to at least, you know, know what you identify with, because I think that's the best way to find community, you know, like-minded people who you can depend on work with. Um, I think that's really, really important. Just, you know, thinking about building your brand identity, thinking about who you really are, um, and not letting others tell your narrative or tell your story. Um, you got to own your name. You got to own your story. So just like you did, it's really important. Um, so now, Bushra, second to last question I have for you. Um, we spoke about the run for the Cook County Board of Commissioners that loss um, and how it shaped you. Uh, now I want to talk about the win. So of course, you are now on the Skokie School District, um, part of the Skokie School District, um, I believe Board of Education, 70, 73 and a half. Um, you won that race when you were 21 years old. Um, I'd love to just talk about this success, you know, how much this meant to you, um, just all the hard work paid off finally. And also after hearing about that journey, I want to talk about what's next. Great questions. It's always, th these are the fun questions, right? Like these are the ones where it's fun to reflect on what it meant and what it felt like. And I tell people all the time that I actually cried both election nights. I cried in 2018 when I lost and I cried in 2019 when I found out I won. And specifically in 2019, similar to what you said, it wasn't just I got elected for this specific office. It was a culmination of two years worth of name building and brand building and you know marketing and all of that coming into fruition for this one election race because it, I wasn't doing it from scratch anymore. I was working on top of, of a foundation that I'd built and worked incredibly hard to build as well. So it meant the world to me to get elected. And not, I feel like the title just amplified the feeling a lot more. I didn't know until halfway through campaigning that I would be the youngest Muslim elected in the country. Um, it's um, that's some um, that's something that came later. So I think it also shows like intentions, like just doing someone someone who's doing what they want to do for the sake of doing good. Um, and other things like that just come your way, right? People who actively seek those things out don't find um, as much genuine quote unquote success in, in their own path because they're running for, they're chasing something else um, as opposed to perhaps what the actual goals should be. So it meant the world to me to be elected. Um, I'm so grateful and honored to be able to serve in this capacity and in this ability. And I really think I get challenged every day with it. And I think seeing that support and getting elected shows that I belong, right? I feel like I was so insecure about my identity, about my age, about what I brought to the table, about what I could do and how I could represent and how I could govern. But seeing the people in the community literally vote for you shows that like they believe in you and it's easier to believe in yourself in that way too. Um, and then I can talk about what's next. Um, of course, no, please, you have the floor. <laughs> yeah, um, so two things are next. One is um, I'm writing a book right now, which I'm super excited about. Um, it's set to come out in July, but that might be my push it to August. Um, but it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a memoir, but also just like a culmination of short stories and lessons I've learned over the course of the years. Um, and I 
might be running for something in 2022, uh, higher office. This is like my first time like publicly debuting it. So you guys, you heard it here first, but keep an eye out for that. That's super exciting. Um, I've been getting like phone calls left and right this past two weeks about running for something that is countywide. Uh, it's not the Cook County Board of Commissioners again, but that would have been amazing if it was. Um, but it is, it is a different, really exciting seat. So we'll see if that comes into fruition too. Well, sure, that is super exciting. I'll be rooting for you. I know not just the Chicagoland area will be rooting for you, but I mean, just thinking on a global level now, we can say just how many people you've inspired. People are really looking to you and just like what you're going to be building and continuing to build for yourself. So that's really, really exciting. And thank you for sharing that news on our podcast. <laughs> really appreciate that. Uh, that's special. Um, yeah. So Bushra, now my final question for you um, is something that I'm going to personally get a lot of um, great advice from you for. I have just been so impressed with how you multitask. Okay. So, like you have done so much politically, um, of course, elected official, and we just ran through your entire resume, your accomplishments, but also, you know, you did mention uh, your full-time role with Google. So two very big things that probably keep you very busy. Um, I would think 20 somethings are going to benefit so much from this advice. How do you manage multiple tasks in your twenties? Um, and are there any like, just, I, want to, I want to talk about, you know, just the other side of it too. Like, are there any bad days where it's just really, really difficult and tough to manage these tasks? And how do you push through? Yeah, that's awesome. Really appreciate this question too. I think that um, the best way to balance multiple things is in genuinely enjoying what you're doing. And I know that's like cliche and basic advice. And it's like, oh, that's so hard to follow and implement, but it's actually not. If you truly find what you're good at, what you like doing, it does. It genuinely does not seem like work. It seems so much fun. It seems like you're doing all the right things. It seems like you're, uh, it's a lot easier too. you have to exude a lot less energy and you actually get more energized and have the capacity to do more because you're putting your eggs into a basket where you're gaining so much back from it too. So for example, um, I, I come home from work with a ton of energy because I love what I'm doing. I love the people that I'm work with. I love the relationships that I'm building. I love the skills that I'm learning. I love being challenged. Um, so I feel like I'm, I'm able to tackle a bit so much more. And then I wholeheartedly love serving and holding public office, which happens outside of work hours. So I, I actually found something that perfectly complemented my schedule where, you know, like nine to five, I'm working, I have a full-time job. And then, um, you know, 5.30 or 6 to 9, 10, 11, however late the board meeting goes, we've gone as late as 1 a.m. before. I really depends on what's on the agenda. Uh, you fill in with something else. But again, doing things that you enjoy and are good at will give you way more energy than you have to exude, which I think is like the golden rule. That's like the, the key and the way to balance it. And um, on, I always say prioritize time for friends and family as well. I think that's so important. And I think on the bad days, those are the people you get to lean on. I always say, have your personal board of directors, your own secretary, right? Your own treasurer, your own person who keeps you in check for everything. Um, your own person that sort of does each of those things. And those are the people that you can turn to on the bad days. But for me, like I was burnt out incredibly bad my senior year of undergrad, um, specifically winter quarter was super bad. Um, I was I was working two jobs. I was doing full-time school. I was serving my elected office. I was traveling a ton for speaking engagements. And I honestly didn't have time to breathe. And at the same time, 
everything is just like getting texts was just overwhelming. So um, understanding that you don't have to say yes to everything and setting boundaries is extremely important. So for example, a boundary that I set for myself, you'll be surprised how often this comes up, but I get asked to do a lot of interviews in Pakistan and India. And a lot of the times the morning shows hit me up. So they say, oh, come online at 12 a.m. And that's a boundary that I set. I no longer say yes to those 10 a.m. You know, overseas interviews because I don't, I feel like I don't um, have to say yes to everything anymore. And then I feel more confident and comfortable saying, actually, like, can you work with my schedule? Could we pre-record it at this time and showcase it that way? Like, I feel like I have the tools to creatively ask for things that work best for me. And that's actually a skill that takes a lot of practice in its own way too. So that's great advice. I just learned a lot as well. Um, you mentioned something that is so important. So I just want to repeat it again, ask. Um, I think it's never too hard to just ask a question, you know, ask, can we push this back or can we record it something at a time that's more convenient for me? Or can I have a deadline with this assignment? I think it's always okay to ask Answer might not always be yes, um, but you wouldn't know unless you ask. So I think that's super important. And I hope listeners really take that advice to heart. Um, Bushra, again, this was just so much fun. Thank you for joining the podcast. Uh, did you have any like lasting advice uh, that you wanted to share? Any like personal habits that you developed um, and still use today? Um, literally anything. The last thing I'll share is be the change you want to see in the world. I think that's the motto we all should live by. And thank you so, so much for having me. So much fun, such creative questions, questions I haven't been asked before. So you really made me think and reflect and got my true, genuine responses. I love that. I love that. That means we're better than CNN and all these other shows. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, Bushra, I hope you have a wonderful evening. Thank you for hopping on uh, to talk with me this late. Also, like really, really appreciate it. Um, looking forward to seeing what's coming, uh, not only like with the future campaigns, but the book is going to be super awesome. Can't wait to read that. Can't wait to get my signed copy as well. Um, so we'll make sure to send you an address so I can get that. But again, yeah. thank you. Thank you. I hope you have a great weekend and just um, really appreciate you. Thank you. Of course, anytime. And thank you so much. Let me know how I can best support you, your podcast, all your endeavors. Like I'm so proud to know you and everything that you do. You're so resilient. I think that's such a good word to describe you um, in so many ways. So you inspire me in more ways that you know, and so many others. And I think, you know, credit, I feel like people deserve, some people deserve more credit than they receive and you're definitely one of them. So um, if you ever want to get creative, this is like, I don't know if this will go into recording, but if you ever want to get creative about getting more press and stuff, let me know because I generated it all for myself and I'd love to work with create, you in, in creative ways to do that for you too. For sure, that means a lot. Thank you. I am just fortunate to be able to share your voice uh, and your message. So thank you for giving me an opportunity to do that.